Welcome to the 118th edition of the Guna Podcast. This is your host, David Udo, and we are recording on the Monday evening after the 2-1 victory at West Brom in the week before Arsenal entertained Norwich at home. So, on to details of this evening's panel. And after constantly messing up the gags and the intros by being, for example, unable to read out the word rise last month and saying piss instead, our editor has not bothered with any attempt at humour because I will probably just botch it up with my inability to read the English language off a piece of paper. So, it's a brief and to the point series of hellos this month. Firstly, welcome back to a voice that is gracing our panel for the third time this season. A regular Guna contributor, creator of his blog, Aguna's Diary, and a columnist in the Irish Examiner. Good evening, Mr. Bernard Agelet. Evening. Next, the editor of the Guna, occasional author, and a frequent target for certain of Arsenal's keyboard warriors. Hello to Mr. Kevin Witcher. Hello to everybody on both sides of the divide. Finally, a new voice on the panel, and many thanks to him for stepping in at short notice. He is by trade a photographer and has been pitch side at Arsenal a number of times so can give us the inside track on things that might not be obvious further back in the stands. And believe it or not, he also just so happens to be my brother. Given he's been able to help us out this evening, there are no accusations of nepotism but a warm welcome to Mr Tony Udo. Hello. So, gentlemen, um, the last couple of podcasts we've done have been a little bit grim and part of me was convinced that the last one was virtually our end of season party. There were, there were going to be games, there were going to be um, you, you know, all kinds of cakes, that kind of thing, but out of nowhere, we've managed to take 18 out of the last 21 points available in the league. Bernard, does this mean that everything's actually okay and people are getting their knickers in a twist over nothing? Uh, I think um, our uh, recent success is a bit deceptive because <laughs> I, I, I fancy there's still plenty of accidents waiting to happen between now and the end of the season. Uh, but at the end of the day, the results are all that matter. So momentum-wise, we, we're, the, we're the ones with the ball at the moment. Uh, what, what do you think, Tony? Um, your first words on, on the Guna podcast. Are you thinking that it's starting to turn itself around? I mean, I remember after the, um, the defeat at Spurs, it was like, well, here we go. We'll be lucky if we stay up rather than anything else. And out of nowhere, we've, we've turned into Melchester Rovers virtually. Yeah, I think, I think it has turned around. And um, I think our father has struck again. He said um, many weeks ago that uh, Bale would probably end up getting injured the remainder of the season, whatever it would be, and um, Ars- and given their fixtures as well, Arsenal will just luckily f- uh, go into that full spot. But I actually worked out the other day that if Manchester City lose to Manchester United tonight um, and we win our next two games, we actually go second, <laughs> which is astonishing. You know, <laughs> shows how poor the league is yeah. this season, really. What are you thinking, Kerry? Do, do you think we've finally um, found some form? Something's happened and sprung us on? The, the, the coming back of the formerly dead Thomas Rosicki? Well, what's interesting to me is that we are winning what should be winnable games. But when we've actually got a chance of winning the title, these are the exact games which we don't tend to get results from. So it's a weird turnaround, and I suspect there's something psychological behind it. Um, in that you know we've given we had given up on the team, so it's almost like the pressure's off. So suddenly they start getting results which they should have been getting all season. Mm. Now I think I worked out I can't remember exactly the number of points, but if we'd won all our winnable games, the games you would expect the top four teams to win, I think we'd only be maybe something like nine points behind Man United, something like that. Mm. Because obviously I'm not including the games against Chelsea, Man City, Man U, etc. Um, but uh, it's it's interesting that they can get results at this time of the season when they are chasing third and fourth place and uh, can't earlier in the season when we're hoping they're going to have a title challenge. And what's changed, I'm sure we will discuss very soon. I, I, I would have thought so, absolutely. I mean... It has seemed to have turned itself around relatively quickly and um, obviously we, we had the nightmare of losing two very big cup ties in the space of about three or four days. Um, Blackburn on Saturday followed by, um, by Bayern München. It was almost reminiscent of 2004 when although we were invincible in the league, um, we went out of um, the FA Cup semi uh, at the semi-final stage to Manchester United on the Saturday. 
Um, then Wayne Bridge knocked us out of the Champions League in midweek. Uh, we went out of two cup competitions in two days, and uh, sorry, in, in space for a few days. And then on the, the Good Friday, we had Liverpool at home with two one down at half time. But from there on, the club seemed to pick itself up, uh, along with the team itself, and we seemed to hit some form. I mean, Bernard, do, do you think the team's approach to matches changed since those two home cup defeats in the, the space of four days? As a, a kind of kick up the arse type thing? Um, I, I, I don't know. I might have perceived. I'm wondering if I perceive some changes in the way in defence. In the, uh, I, I don't know if I'm, um, I'm kidding myself. Whether there's, uh, whether we've. Um, given up where there's a more flexible uh, approach to defending set pieces and it's not strictly zonal but I think I think there's an element of good fortune in the way things have worked because following on from the the, the, the good result in Germany we've then played a Reading team who quite frankly didn't turn up and are about the most dispirited side I've seen at this season mm. and then a, a West Brom side who also you know, if we played them earlier in the season, that might have been far more of a struggle than it was on Saturday. Mm. Swansea um, after Bayern Munich. Swansea yeah. away was after Bayern Munich. Well, yes, which is the same thing. Swansea, who seem to have put their feet up since winning the League Cup and have proceeded to, you know, I think they they won this weekend, did they? But they've uh, Spurs yeah. even went up there and won. And we haven't had a test yet, really, have we? Yeah, I think there is a yeah. test. I think we will get tested at some point. Yeah, Everton. Yeah. yeah, it was kind of advantageous that we, we saw Everton played so well at Spurs yesterday in the sense that it, rather than our, our team going into it thinking it's only Everton will walk this and then inevitably it's nil-nil at half-time, hopefully uh, they'll be quite wary of it uh, and, and, and will actually look like a football team uh, rather than just the opposition. Uh, one of the points that Bernard just raised uh, was that defence seems to have changed itself, whether it's um, uh, that it's being coached differently and maybe we are doing um, anything but, uh, but zonal marking, which I've always maintained doesn't work. I mean, Tony, one thing I've noticed is that Thomas O'Marlon's gone out and Florence Koscielny, bless her, she's come in. And since he was brought over from Spain at the end of January, Monreal is starting as our first choice left back. Has it got anything to do with us literally changing our first choice defence? Um, oh, yeah. and of course Fabianski's in goal now. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I think it is a mixture of that. And maybe, I don't know, maybe the pressure's off a little bit as well. Um, going out of the Champions League and out of the Cups, maybe, they, I don't know, maybe they can relax a bit. Um they haven't had many big games. I mean, they weren't expected to win over in Bayern Munich, and I, since since then, I don't think we've had any tests, like you say. Mm. So, um, you know, and that wasn't a test because we were expected to get trounced, and we didn't. We did really well. Mm. Um, so maybe is it, I, I don't know if it's just a change of defence or change of attitude or just the time of the season it is. Or um, I think Kachel, I mean, I really like Kachel, and I think you, you always get entertainment with him. You always score a goal at either end <laughs> or get sent off or something. Something always happens with him. What are you thinking, Kev? Is it that the, the defence has changed completely and we look relatively more solid at the back than we did? Or um, did the 2 0 victory in, in, in Munich um, act as a triumph? Or was that an illusion? But what's changed? Where's the form come from? Well, I mean, we hear stories that Steve Bold's been allowed to do a little bit more of the coaching that, in theory, he wasn't being allowed to do. And you can believe it, because there does seem to be more of a focus on getting results in our style of play. I mean, we're certainly um, against um, uh, West Brom. There was a lot more effort mm. to win the ball higher up the pitch by uh, the midfield and the forwards actually trying to get in a few faces for periods of that game and it did negate West Brom who aren't a great team and they didn't really have any solutions as to how to create chances for 70 minutes <coughs> um, so I think yes we have changed our approach because results are absolutely paramount and you know we we forget the style you know that's that's not going to actually it's been proved that we can't rely on that um, so I suspect a different philosophy um, with a view to how critical it is to get uh, in the top four to the club and even indeed the manager because he's obsessed with uh, winning the Champions League one day and um, I think he sacrificed style 
for uh, pragmatism. And uh, going back in Arsenal's history, mm-hmm. that's what <coughs> Arsenal have been about, you know, getting a result. And um, so I welcome it. You know, I'm, I'm, I don't mind not being entertained by the football if I can see a bit of spirit mm. and determination and desire amongst the players to actually win a football match. Mm. And I think a lot of Arsenal fans uh, welcome that. I remember your uh, your editorial on, on the site after the Swansea game. I mean, that appeared to be pretty much the first game this season when we really, really dug it in and managed to get a result and, and seemed to play quite well. Well, that editorial mm. was actually written by Mike Francis. Oh, oh, <laughs> so, you are right. <laughs> um, I won't be held responsible for those kind of comments. Brilliant. That's me dropped from next mm. month. This is all I need. I mean, well, like, like I mentioned when we started... Um, the last, the last podcast did seem like the end of season party. I mean, we went out of the uh, the two cup competitions. We, we we thought that we had a chance of doing something. Anyway, obviously the FA Cup over the Champions League, and all we've got left is our race finishing in the top four. Um, bearing in mind the rest of the league's dead, Bernard, in the sense that Manchester United have already won it. Um, two of the teams have already been relegated. It's just as to who's going to join them. Will it be Sunderland? Will it be Wigan? Um, the only real competition is who's going to finish in the, in the top four. Uh, are you excited by that? Is it quite thrilling watching the Arsenal? Uh, I think, well, I think there's still there's still plenty to play for in the sense of the number of teams that that could be dragged down into that relegation uh, mire. But the, um, the, I mean, in some respects, I was disappointed with the West Brom game in the sense that both teams started play. The game kicked off in such a laid back fashion that you would assume that neither team had anything to play for. And um, and so I wonder how how entertaining the rest of the season will be. I think some of us fans are far more uh, in, uh, excited about what might transpire. I don't know whether it's it's reflected in the football on the pitch, mm. um, but I do think that Wenger pulled a bit of a masterstroke by dropping Chesney and Vermaelen, and that was a sufficient change, sufficiently substantial change. To kind of draw a line between what was before and after, although I'm not so convinced by him dropping Jenkinson since and replacing him with Sanya, because I thought mm. he should have kept the same defence and let them, just as we were beginning to look a bit composed, why not stick with it for a? It's a fair point, actually. I mean, um, it kind of raises the question: What's our first eleven at the moment? I mean, I think just before Christmas we only had eleven; they'd fit into that team as long as there was place for Wilshire. Um, Tony, are you still excited by it? Is part of you debating what our first eleven is going to be? Are you generally happy with what Wenger's got going on at the moment? Um, yeah, I, I think the changes are, are, like he said earlier, about the not having been tested yet. And the changes he's made, have they really been tested? Because the, the Bayern Munich game was a really strange game. Bayern Munich didn't know what to do. Mm. They didn't know you know, if they'd won it. So I don't think you can count that as a, as a game, really. I mean, we still had to play, obviously, really well. But until we get a test, I don't know how good this defence are. I mean, they still seem to be fragile in places to me, whatever formation it is. I mean, the goalie seems, yeah, a good, you know, a good mm. option to. I think he's, you know, he looks good. Uh, but until we play, maybe even Norwich, or you know, if Norwich decide to turn up, we haven't played a team like say about West Brom, Norwich. They're teams that are not going to go down. They're not. Gonna, they're on holiday already. Yeah. So Everton really next Tuesday night they're going for fourth place you know and I think the next game is QPR at home for them so they're going to win that and they're going to be you know as far as they're concerned and that's when we're going to see how good we are because that is going to be a cup final that is going to be our next big match I think you know What do you think Gabby? It is exciting this stage of the season in the sense that it's the only element of the competition still going we're one of the three people three or four teams competing in it uh, is it so exciting to the extent that every single game is a cup final at the moment not for me no mm. I mean I think we've been down the road enough times whereby I think if you could say we're going to have a genuine crack at winning the Champions League then it matters to be in it mm-hmm. but my view on this is that we are in it every year we don't go out and spend money on exciting players um, we get bargain basement end of contract guys um, so what what difference is it going to make if we're in it or not mm. um, now you know, obviously you 
you don't want to finish below Spurs, for example. So there's an element of interest there. But, I mean, you know, supporters do complain about the Groundhog Day feel of the last few years, whereby we habitually get knocked out of the pair of cup competitions we're still in around about late February, early March, mm-hmm. then just have uh, a top four place to play for. And I'm not feeling the tension that I was feeling in 2001, 2002, mm-hmm. when every game really mattered and Lauren took a penalty against Spurs (laughs) which frankly was one of the tensest moments of my life (laughs) and I'm not getting that it's because the stakes aren't as high Mm -hmm. and I don't really I mean the Champions League is just something we're in and we make money from it but we're not contenders so being in it I tell you why I don't want to be in it. I don't want to be watching football on Thursdays and Sundays. Absolutely. You know, in a way, I'd rather finish six if it meant we weren't in Europa League, because I like my Saturday matches. I don't really fancy going to football on a Thursday evening. Mm-hmm. Um, so on that level, yeah, let's get in the top four or completely blow it. You know, yeah. either or. But uh, no, there's no excitement, I'm afraid, because there's no tension. I don't. I don't care enough about fourth place. Well, what about you, Bernard? I mean, like like Wenger tells us, um, finishing fourth is better than either of the cup competitions in this country, and he'd rather do that than them uh, every single season. Is Champions League football and qualifying the top four so important to you? It, it is better than, than those cup competitions. Or, or does part of you actually want the incredibly tight prong cronky to be punished? Well, there is, there is an argument that the only thing that would really wake the suits that Arsenal up is not to qualify for the Champions League and mm-hmm. so there is, it could be said that that is what we, we, we need to be out of it for, for, for there to be some real changes of the sort that everyone's been calling for although the catch-22 of that situation is is that that is that once you're out of it the, the chances of getting the players that you want and the and the the, the money that we'd have, you know, it could be a, a, a spiral of a downward spiral. Mm. But when we, whenever I think of getting bored of of the just being in the Champions League rather than not having a chance to, um, without really having a chance of winning it, you only have to talk to one of my Spurs mates to feel that desperation to be part of the mm. Champions League party to be considered in the in the elite. And that, yeah. and and their desperation for that reminds me that you know unless you're in it you're you're no, you're nowhere. Mm. How important is it is it to you, Tony? Um, is it everything that you want? I mean, regardless of what happens, as long as we finish in the top four and get to repeat the same structure of our season, that's an important thing. Yeah, I think it is Groundhog Day, like you say. Every season it is getting a bit boring, and what the other guys have said, you know, it's not. There's no excitement there anymore. Um, so, but I don't think going into Europa League is necessarily the answer because I think you know that is in danger of the club going to free fall like Liverpool have done then, and you know just go through two or three managers in quite quick succession, and you know no no players remain, and 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 it eventually you know we we're finishing eighth every year, which would be bad. I think it's time for it's another big question about you're going to pose, but it's time for. Wenger to leave not because he's a bad manager but because he's had his day and why not qualify for the Champions League but bring in fresh blood and let them have a go you know mm. and maybe it's time to start again and stop and stop uh, just wishing for those glory days back you know with under Wenger because it's mm. not going to happen and but football, football's reached a new age the know. phrase glory days is interesting because mm. you know that's what cup wins where you get a trophy at the end of it are about <coughs> absolutely you know I mean I hate to use touch, Tottenham as a touchstone but glory you know that's mm. a big concept there um, and it doesn't matter if you're I mean it matters to them if they're in the Champions League now okay because they want to be one of the big boys mm-hmm. but glory is actually winning silverware and parading around with it albeit that the Spurs fans I speak to, all a lot of them are crying about about the fact that AVB has put so much focus on the Europa Cup to the detriment of their league, or their possibilities as qualifying for the Champions League. Yeah, I mean, you see, 
it's difficult now because football has changed mm. um, so certainly for anyone who's actually involved in the game uh, rather than spectators you know they are looking at the bottom line and money is absolutely paramount and it's a shame because it has actually corrupted the sport we love mm. in that yes priorities are not what I think they should be I mean, I remember a time when I was young when the FA Cup was actually as important as the league championship in Absolutely. terms of kudos. Mm-hmm. You win the FA Cup, it's huge. In those days, it was the, the very mm-hmm. last game of the season and the entire world tuned in to watch it. It was mm-hmm. the global football match, whereas now it has to happen the week before the end of the Premier League because Sky are paying far more money mm. for that rather than ESPN with the FA Cup. What would be interesting if we did fall into the Europa League, um, Wenger's list of priorities... Mm. Would what would be you know of, would the the top one be finishing the Champions League next year? Yeah, next you know, and uh, the Europa League would probably come probably below the FA Cup, maybe, which that might be good. Yeah, because you know, Steve Steve Clark started at West Brom this, this season, or when he started, he, he said he, his priority was to win a domestic trophy and maybe we need to take a step back and stop not stop thinking of us as being the mighty Arsenal mm. if we're not going to spend that money, then. Realise what what we are. We're not, you know, we're not going to win the league. We're not going to win the Champions League. So let's go for a domestic trophy and make that priority. Although in fairness, he did actually attempt to do that this this season. Mm. Uh, okay, granted, Blackburn he did play a bit of a weakened team, but in previous rounds mm-hmm. he played a strong team. Um, presumably because Blackburn was three or four days before Bayern Munich, yeah. there was a change of policy. But certainly in the League Cup, there was only one player against Bradford who you would have thought was not a natural starter. Absolutely. Um, Where in seasons past, he would have undoubtedly put out a much weakened team at Bradford. So I think even Wenger is aware of the importance of a trophy, even psychologically to the team. Mm -hmm. Um, And there is a lot of people talk about the Birmingham Carling Cup final as pushing the team back 18 months yeah. and I think it was Perry Groves used that phrase because psychologically it, it just was a huge setback to that particular group of players yeah. and if you do look at it there aren't many winners in the current squad in terms of background Giroud has won the league title in France um, there's probably a couple of other players who have won trophies abroad at some point but ultimately, we have not developed a winner's mentality amongst the current yeah. squad. And I think it shows in yeah. huge games. Well, even on Saturday you saw it. When the minute things started to go pear-shaped against West Brom or against anyone, you get the sense that there is no one in that team capable mm-hmm. of pulling the strings and organising it sufficiently for everyone to settle down and to keep the ball and not, yeah. not to throw the game away. When you notice that in the, the pre-match video they show for every home game, it's uh, players from the 70s and 80s bending over in slow motion, shouting, come on, and waving their fists forward. Yeah, yeah that kind of stops with Tony Adams. Uh, no, not in yeah. Keown, actually. Not in Keown. Since then, we haven't had a winning captain. It's quite funny that I've noticed, I don't know whether it's a recent thing, but in the last couple of games I've noticed that Arteta is barking at everyone mm. all of a sudden. He's, mm. I don't know where it's all of a sudden. Maybe he has always done it and I just haven't noticed before. But he seems to... I don't, whether it's these, uh, everyone, the complaints about the lack of them talking to each other mm. has resulted, it seems to have resulted in Arteta taking it upon himself to, to he, he mm. reminds me of a Basque shepherd dog. I well, there may, may be some significance to the fact that he is now captain. But, yes. mm. but then you wouldn't immediately think of Arteta as the sort of personality that mm. is capable of inspiring that sort of confidence. Yeah. Mm. And, that, and sadly, that's we don't have. I mean, Jack. Everyone says that Jack Wilshere perhaps is is a potential captain he's material. He's a captain now, but it's so much yeah. pressure to put on him. And, and I think he's, he's he doesn't he doesn't. It's hard for him to command the sort of respect amongst his teammates to be able to mm. adopt that role. But uh, that's what that's what we've lacked for so long. Tony, you're a, you're a Premier League photographer, aren't you? I mean, you photograph for, for a sports agent, agency, and, and you've been pitch side. Uh, at our stadium uh, relatively recently. Being that close, have you noticed any communication amongst the team at all? No, I think there is a real lack of it. It's just what you just said, really. Um, Jack Wilshire is the only one that, you know, looks like he's, you know, he's got a fight on his hands and, he's, and he's, he's telling people off, you know, guys, 
mm. 10 years senior to I don't know what that must make them feel yeah but there's no there's no talking at all you know and I photographed plenty of football matches on Watford Saturday and where I was lucky enough to see Manuel Almunia <laughs> captain um, and you know and he's he's great captain for Watford and you see them close up and you see those guys who are playing Cardiff and people like Craig Bellamy mm. you know we need play, we need some play, voices like that so it just, there's no there's there, and there's there's a real sense of chickens with their heads cut off when they yeah you know when they go a goal down of well, what am I doing you know there, there doesn't seem to be mm. they don't seem to know what they're doing and whether that's the training I mean I read something that there's a it's not the players it's the way that they are trained yeah yeah and you know they're not trained properly basically especially the defence. I mean if Wilsh is the only voice we've generally got in the team but based on what you've seen I mean Kev. How are we looking without Wilshire at the moment? I mean, I mean, both in terms of how we're functioning as a team, as we, for, for, as we mentioned earlier, out of nowhere we've found some form. Um, are we missing, missing an awful lot? The results will suggest not. Mm. Um, again, it may be to do with the quality of the opposition. Um, but, I mean, I, I, you know, when I played Sunday football, I remember we had um, what I considered a pretty decent team. Um, but just the way it went we ended up losing the first five or six matches and a couple of the guys who were definitely very very good players uh, just said oh well, I've had enough of this I'm not coming next week and we started to win matches <laughs> with a weaker team and um, sometimes football works that way um, you know I'm not saying we should throw his, his toys out of the pram he's sure. injured you know but it's it's a funny thing. The dynamic of a team is not always reliance on a star player. And oh, I'm trying to remember. I think it's it's an article in the last schooner of a season, which I'm sort of beginning to prepare now. But uh, someone is going to argue that actually Arsenal have relied too much on star players in the past to the detriment of the team. Uh, which has prevented them from winning things because they played through those particular individuals too much. So Fabregas would be an example of that. Mm -hmm. Now, whether or not that argument has any merit, I don't know. But it is interesting that we are picking up points without Walcott, mm -hmm. without Wilshire. Um, you know, there might be other reasons, and maybe with those guys on the team, we'd still be winning those games. Yeah. But it's an interesting uh, debate. What do you think, Bernard? Uh, I mean, do you think Wilshire uh, getting a little knock, which you know could be, a, you know, hopefully it's not a Wenger two to three week injury, and he's gone for seven years. Um, but one player has suffered from that. He's come into the team kind of as a sub for Wilshire in the the number ten role behind uh, Giroud. Uh, Thomas Rosicki, as he shows la showed last year, he does absolutely nothing from August to January whilst being injured, and then in February comes back into the team, looks quite good. And dear Christ, he scored twice on Saturday. I mean, is it working quite well in that respect? Um, I, well, my opinion on Riziki is that you're only likely to get an hour of foot, good football out of him anyway. Mm. And that I don't. I think was it was it him who had the who, who had the bad back injury. I don't think he's ever been quite the same player since he came back from. A, Ooh, he's, he's had <laughs> he had that weird thigh injury or something. It was an injury that someone's never had or something <clears> like that. I mean. Yeah, there's a, a distance not get into legal trouble with yeah. your usual <laughs> comment on yeah. this. I've got no idea what you're talking about. Right, yeah. well then, I yeah. don't even go. I wondered if it was going to go at that avenue, but obviously it's not. I, I didn't mean it like that at all. We had one of those things whereby he's uh, kind of like Giroud's got in one of the, um, Giroud's, not Giroud, he's got in one of his legs at the moment whereby the uh, the muscle would dis uh, detach itself from the bone or something like that. Because yeah. Riziki was. Well, I think Riziki had something about one leg being longer than the other something or something. Something stupid yeah. like that, yeah. I'd, I'm not going down that road. I swear, I'm not. I'm, I'm a step, yeah, a step. <laughs> um, but I mean, it, it was a weird thing last year. He seemed to come back between February and May and look great. I mean, is I mean, well, I suppose what's going to happen when uh, when Wilshire comes back? I mean, well, hang on, Riziki is playing in in the hole. Yeah. Now Wilshire, um, most of the time. Mm -hmm. Has played alongside Artessa. Okay, he's occasionally played in there. Yeah, he did but ultimately, him. most of the time it's been Kazola. Mm. in that position so Wilshire and Riziki could actually play in the same team mm. if Wilshire did come back um, assuming that he would drop presumably Ramsey um, although at the moment would... you know you've got to say Ramsey has actually 
playing in his natural position, mm -hmm. started to uh, look more of the parts. I mean, he was getting a hell of a lot of stick playing as a wide player. Uh, it's not a role that suits him in any way, shape or form. He's not quite good enough as the attacking midfielder. But uh, in terms of industry, um, you know, his natural position would seem to be deep midfield. Mm -hmm. um, and that's part of the and reason... He he does a drag back on the edge yeah, of the zone. Yeah, well, there's always something. <laughs> but, I mean, ultimately, he was part of the reason that on Saturday at West Brom, Arsenal really kind of bossed the game mm -hmm. in terms of, of denial of the opposition. Um, because Ramsey was quite effective at closing people down. Albeit that they had, I mean, it was, it, it really, they, they, West Brom had three chances that uh, uh, any decent finisher you would have expected them to score. So At the end? Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, yeah, I'm not counting the last 20 minutes. I'm <laughs> counting the first 70 right. before we went to pieces. <laughs> Look, um, there's a million different things to talk about in the team at the moment, but um, it's, it, I think it's very, very important to bring out... Um, the current issue with the Gunner, um, in, in the sense that we're finally speaking to one of our, uh, our ex-Arsenal players, um, the unfortunately now retired because he's that old centre-half, Chris White, who's interviewed in uh, the current issue of the Gunner. Um, do any of you have any memories of uh, our third or fourth choice centre-half back in the 80s? Kev? Well, he, he was he was a first choice centre-half. Oh, excuse my ignorance. For at least a couple of seasons. <laughs> Did he play in the League Cup finals, any of them? No, that was no, no, no. He was before Gus. that. Uh, I mean, his, his his big thing, one of the unfortunate things about him is that he, he played in that uh, League Cup home defeat to Walsall and made a bit of a clangor for <laughs> Walsall's winner. But um, to be fair, I I mean, my I wasn't watching Arsenal a lot at that time, but I I was there on the game everyone remembers when he was played up front against Aston Villa and scored in a, <laughs> the winner in a 3-2 victory um, but ultimately he was one that proved uh, the club wrong in that we did release him um, and he, he went to America for a couple of seasons came back to England and eventually ended up at Leeds United mm -hmm. where he did win alongside Lee Chapman a, a title winner's medal so, um, was John Lukic in that team as well? He was, yeah, <laughs> yeah. fair point. So there was three of them. Although Lukic, in fairness, had achieved at Arsenal as well. He'd yes. not been a flop. No. Uh, he was merely moved on because of David Seaman, which proved to be a wise decision. Mm. Um, but, uh, I mean, you know, in fairness, my main memories of White are in a lead shirt. But uh, I've got to mention this. Uh, at the Norwich match on Saturday before the game, uh, from about 1.15 until 2.45, Chris Chalky White will be signing copies of the Guna, uh, probably um, beside um, a picture stall opposite the uh, North Bank steps. I think that's the current plan, but we will confirm that on the website during the week oh. before the game. So if you've bought the Guna already, as bring along your copy, you'll sign the big full-page picture of him have a photo taken or whatever have a chin wag about the old times mm. if you haven't bought it uh, buy it and get him to sign it on Saturday is it the steps by the bridge uh, just off Gillespie Road or is it over the other side it is uh, Drayton Park off Gillespie Drayton Road Park, so okay. if you're coming from Arsenal Tube the way you'd go to get up the steps to the bridge uh, he'd be just before that on the left hand side and do you plan to get Gus Caesar because I've got a shirt that he's <laughs> well I'm not going to rule this house <laughs> You say that to say thank you to my brother at Christmas. I did get him a brand new Arsenal shirt with Caesar Five on the back, and um, wearing that to the Bailey after a game doesn't work. Um, <laughs> but in the interview uh, with Chris in the current issue, he speaks of the difficulty of retaining the title uh, when he was at Leeds, um, when they won the league in the early 90s. Arsenal have only ever retained it in the 1930s, and 10 clubs have managed to retain it, but only three of them in the last 50 years. Why has it proved so difficult for Arsenal? I mean, especially in 2004, 2005, when we were invincible. Yeah, I think that um, well, it, is, it is most... All footballers seem to... It's one of the things you most often hear them say, that it's, that's the, it's, it's hard to go on and retain it, uh, much harder than winning it. And uh, I guess, obviously, that's, I imagine it's something to do with the level of motivation once you've achieved... A title, um, 
I don't know. I, I, I'd like to see us. I'd like to see us win this, win win one first, and yeah. then <laughs> find out how we go about retaining it. <laughs> That's a fair comment. It's a fair comment. I mean, totally. I mean, before Wayne Rooney throwing himself over Sol Campbell at Old Trafford in the 2004-2005 season, did you think we were just going to retain it and dominate English football, or there was a problem behind it, or no idea? Um, Horrible question, I know, sorry. No, I think, uh, uh, well, it was sort of skipping backwards and forwards between us and United, but I thought that would go on for a few more seasons. I didn't think we'd suddenly go for a barren period of eight years. Mm. And then football would change like it did with all the money as well. Yeah. And our crime always seems to be allowing teams to break up a little bit too soon rather than, mm. rather than adding to them. We seem to let them break up. Yeah. That's a, that's a fair comment. What are you thinking, Kev? I mean... At any point in the sort of, sort of last 15, 20 years, have we won the league and you thought we're about to start dominating English football? Or, did, or were you always worried in the sense that I remember when we, we went invincible, uh, I got locked into the Bailey on Holloway Road, everyone was standing up and down uh, cheering, thinking they'd be Arsenal, uh, Arsenal dominating English football. And my dad was there in silence and I said to him, Are you okay? And he said, Yeah. I said, Dad, we're invincible. We've just won the league at Spurs. What's not to love? And he said, I'll tell you what, we might be brilliant this year. We'll be useless next year <laughs> you're you that frame of mind think something's going to go wrong or? no I was I was optimistic in those days because we had the players to do it um, what hindsight has taught us is that on occasion um, in certain matches Arsenal have not been able to play result football and that's where they have not been able to retain the title so for example in 98-99 uh, we had a cracking team but uh, we just dropped silly points here and there when we shouldn't have and ultimately it cost us mm. um, and that certainly was the case in 2002-2003 we should have won the title three years on the trot <coughs> but it was things like going, ahe going ahead in various away grounds uh, Liverpool, Newcastle, Aston Villa to remember but three and then getting draws you know, now if you hung on to just I think one of those games, we probably would have won the title. Um, so ultimately, at that time, Wenger was producing fantastic football teams, but even with those brilliant players, they couldn't always play result football when it was required. It was sometimes a bit too open, and I always remember the 2003 FA Cup final. We'd blown the league, and Robert Pires had had enough. He wanted to win a title. Yeah. Last three or four minutes at Cardiff against Southampton, give me that fucking corner flag. <laughs> <laughs> Ball, corner flag, Pires. I remember that. It wasn't entertaining. There was, a, there was a pot at the end of it, though. Yeah. So, ultimately, that's the level at which we had to go to just make sure we didn't F it up again. Hmm. And that was, that was the team that was the Invincibles a year later. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes in football, you've got to bore the pants off the audience at times just to make sure you get the result. And that Invincibles team, we all look up back on it so fondly, but it was all a bit of an illusion. When, I mean, <laughs> when you consider the football we'd played in some of the seasons before, it was far more, when you think of all the draws we had in that Invincible season, um, it, the, some of the seasons before were far more entertaining than... Uh, you know, it, we, it's brilliant that we've got that uh, that uh, wonderful label to hold over us that no one else has yet to achieve. But uh, I think it was a bit, bit, a bit of an illusion as to how well the team played that season. Do you remember the Arsenal v Birmingham game, which was the weekend after we won the title at Spurs? It was nil nil yeah. at Highbury. It was a dust game in the history of the planet. Yeah. Um, so you know, I mean, in fairness, um, they certainly had their off days. But I think overall, maybe Burns being a bit harsh on mm. the Invincibles, they certainly played of a quality which was comparable to previous seasons. Mm. But once or twice they got lucky. Certainly, Man United away. You know, uh, yeah. should have lost that game. A couple of others we came very close to losing. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes the dice fall your way, and it certainly did that season. 
hope to take the Old Trafford game as a message from God that Ruud van Nistelrooy is a cunt. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, um, what were the points? We'll, we'll sort of just... Uh, anyway, um, uh, we had this discussion before, but we won't bore the oh, listeners no, yes. with it. There's, um, uh, there's, a me- there's a message from God to me, listeners. Um, we'll find out in the comment section. Um, um, look... Th- the, the, the name that comes up is ultimately Arsene Wenger in, in sense that it, it's you know is it him telling his team even when you're winning don't take to the corner flag we play football the most attractive way and we score goals that way all I know is that there was a chant for the first time in ages of there's only one Arsene Wenger away at West Brom over the weekend are away supporters more loyal to the manager are people generally is, is it football tourists that don't know what they're talking about Bernard I think uh, well to be honest that, that, the, the chant of oh, there's only one Arsene Wenger you hear it away at almost every game as long as we're winning mm, yeah oh. and, and and you hear it in response to when Arsene Wenger gets any, any stick from the op- opposition fans mm. so I do think there is a tendency for the away fans to be more loyal or to be more loyal in the sense of a loyalty to the club, so that Arsene Wenger is your manager and you're a supporter and you don't criticise your manager whilst he's your manager. Mm. Uh, but going back to that, the, the, comment, the, the comment about grinding, uh, about our inability to grind out mm. wins when we're off colour, I think that's, for me, that's always been an intrinsic weakness for all his wonderful uh, abilities as a manager that's always been an intrinsic weakness of Wenger in the fact that he buys players based on what 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 he can see on an excel spreadsheet anything that can be measured their fitness their ability mm-hmm. their past success rate and c- unlike some other managers he doesn't have the ability to measure intangible qualities like personality and so won't buy players strictly for the personality, the character they might bring to the team. They might be a bit overweight or they might not be have a few injury problems but there's somebody you could have on a bench, you could bring on and you know that he'd settle down the side and in, in, in for example at West Brom on Saturday where we're, where we're 2-1 up and all they've got to do is keep the ball and I think Wenger has if he has a weakness, it's his inability to appreciate the the the, the essential quality of, of, of character. Mm. Well, what do you think, Kev? Is part of you missing that he hasn't got a Jules Grimaldi in the squad? When you won the up with 20 minutes to go, you just bring him on and, and let him kick people in the defensive midfield position? Yeah, I mean, it was an interesting theory put around about two years ago that we were interested in Joey Barton. Yeah, I remember that. Now that would have set the cat amongst the pigeons, but funnily enough, I could see it working, you know, <laughs> because ultimately what some of those players require is a rocket up the anus, <laughs> in my view, someone who's not complacent. Now to me, I think Wenger's got into the habit of deliberately avoiding players with strong personalities mm-hmm. because he just doesn't want conflict in the dressing room. Mm. Now I'm afraid that sometimes that is actually a requisite to success. Um, So I think he's heavily into his kind of zen-like approach whereby people don't challenge, but they kind of evolve naturally in the beautiful game. And the reality of the English league is that you don't win things with that kind of approach. Now, it's interesting that when he was winning things, he had an English core for a number of years. And even some of the French players were sort of indoctrinated with it a bit. So by the time Adams finished, um, and Lee Dixon finished, and Winterburn finished, the mantle was kind of carried on for a while, I think. I think Vieira, you know, Mm -hmm. almost became English in, in maybe his... I mean, there's certainly, I'm sure there's arguments in the dressing room. Thierry Henry was a fiery character. Mm. Um, but that's, I think, eroded. I mean, the, the interesting thing was once Gallus was demoted, we had Fabregas as captain. Now, he's a wonderful player, but he's not going to pull anyone up. Mm. No. Um, no. And I think we've missed that. So characters, I think, are important, and we have missed them. Mm. Now, Wilshire has the potential to become one of those. 
but in a way I suspect we need to become a more uh, English team mm. for him to have maximum effect and maybe we are going that way you know because he is gradually bringing through more homegrown players or players signed from other English clubs um, you know people like Aaron Ramsey for example yeah. who's bought players from Southampton but um, in a way I, I suspect we, we've gone too far away from the English for a while and we need to drag it back and Johan Cruyff said you don't win the title unless you've got five or six domestic players and I think if you look around the world in different leagues it's probably almost always the case even Real Madrid has quite a number of Spanish players mm. Um, mm. and in Italy the same You know, there's a hard core of Italian players in the teams that win trophies um, and I think there is something to that I think if you threw if you look if you threw a player like Manu, uh, Emmanuel Petit into our side now he'd be nothing like the player he was when he had Keown Adams and yeah. Winterberg uh, the, the, the inspiration uh, that infectious quality of their commitment uh, where I think it, you wouldn't, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't be anywhere near as impressive in our current team because that's what, that's what made him the, to play above and beyond what he might have been previously used to mm. Uh, looking at you know, you know uh, the sound there um, of players going through and, and, and growing things. Um, looking at our squad at the moment, uh, of which there are over forty, nearly fifty professional players on it. A lot of them are out on loan at the moment, uh, and obviously at the end of the season they're all coming back, whether we like it or not. Uh, have any of you got hopes for any of them at all? Tony, is part of you hoping that Nicholas Bender comes back to be our reserve centre forward? No, I didn't even know he was still. With <laughs> Yeah, he's still one of those, sadly. No, I don't. I, you said to me how much money is being wasted on these players that haven't mm. proved themselves as well, which is, I just think it's, well, that's rubbish business, isn't it? And if Arsenal are just about business, which they seem to be at the moment, um, that's not very good. You know, that, that's, that's definitely a weak thing that they've missed there. Um, mm. But no, I don't see any, I don't, I don't, I don't really see any, any players come back making a big impact. Think he needs to buy really. Mm. I think what you're saying about um, what guys are saying as well about you know not knowing how to handle certain situations like running to the corner flag, and I think that comes with what we said earlier about they need to have gone through something together mm. and, and, and have won something, even if it's the League Cup, yeah. um, been through some sort of war together, you know, and, and so they will fight for each other. And I think that that you know, then it will be bred into them to sort of be a little bit more have a bit more passion because it does it does lack soul doesn't it the team like the stadium in my yeah, opinion as yeah. well it seems to have you know and that's why Jack Wilshere looks so out of place when he's running around screaming yeah 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 because he, you know no one else is doing it you see it so much in the championship you know where guys do have to fight it's a lot yeah because sure. there's not much quality we look very pretty you know, but there's a there's a lack of passion and no oomph, as it were. No, yeah. definitely there's a there's a lack of sort of fighting spirit. What are you thinking, Bernard? Uh, I mean, were any of the any of the young players are out on loan at the moment? You think that there's a chance they're going to come good, or um, have people like Johan Jury been sent out to actually get playing some games so that when the likes of Scalacci and Co disappear at the end of their contract, they can come back and actually do something? Uh, the only the, 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 is the the the, the, the the chap from Costa Rica been doing something somewhere. Joel Campbell. Joel yes. Campbell. Yeah, that's the only one I seem to have heard of who's uh, setting fires somewhere. If in, only someone around this table had been over on a scouting <laughs> mission to see him in Spain. Joel, Ca Joel Campbell. He's, Joel. he's Costa. Is he the Costa Rica captain? Because mm -hmm. he seems to have all the captains of all the rubbish. Oh, there's also <laughs> international teams around the globe. And aren't that, isn't am I right in thinking Costa Rica is the only country without an army? Because it's so peaceful there. <laughs> I'm sure that's Costa Rica. Don't tell us all that. It'll sign all of them. That's all we need. Someone that's not a soldier, you know, it's just really peaceful. You know, we don't need that at all, do we? Well, well I we're mean, this someone want. that needs a war. <laughs> well, we can get uh, Park back. He's on national service. Yes. <laughs> yeah. well, that's what we want. Yeah. Well, I actually happen to have seen um, uh, Joel Campbell play in the last month because I actually was in Valencia the weekend we were away to Swansea. I went to see Valencia play Real Betis, uh, who Campbell is on loan to, and Betis had a player sent off uh, after about 17 minutes 
which meant the removal of Joel Campbell from the fray. <laughs> so I saw, I, him, you were there. I saw him play for 17 <laughs> minutes and uh, he was very communicative with his teammates. He was certainly trying to fire them up, demanding the ball a lot. In Spanish? Uh, oh, yeah. Um, I mean, assuming that's Costa Rican is the native language. Yeah. Sí, es um, so, um, having said that, um, I don't think he's set any bars over there. I mean, Betis are doing okay, actually. They're having a fairly decent season. They've got mm. a very slim chance of making Champions League. Um, but he hasn't scored many goals. He, he plays a wide midfield for the most part. Mm. And um, The centre forward being thrown on the right wing, so he's a young Sylvain Wiltor. Yeah, <laughs> effectively. And um, I can't make a judgement on 17 minutes of that guy. But uh, it was interesting just to see him trot around for a while. Yeah. I wonder, was this worth sacrificing the signing of one matter? Yeah. Probably, yeah. Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> I think the way to go is, if like he's gone French before, I think the way to go is Belgium. Yeah. <laughs> Belgium are going to be a, the well, next I European can't understand this, What a team. When you have, look at the Belgian yeah, players in the yeah. Premiership, they should be well beaters on the national yeah, side. I can't, yeah, they keep coming. I keep noticing. I was, I was in Bruges the other week as well, and I, I was watching a bit of the Belgian uh, football. There's some brilliant players. I can't remember them now, but I mean, everyone, that good. <laughs> everyone seems to be Belgian, you know, yeah. that's, that's coming up. And we've got one. Mm. Well, so let's just get get the Chelsea guy, you know. All, all so, I know is um, Everton's second goal against Spurs was a wonder goal by Kevin Morales, who apparently turned us down in the yeah. summer. And um, when I saw that Romelu Lukaku was on the bench for West Bromwich, I thought, well, if you don't want him, <laughs> I'll quite happily have him, you know. And yeah. then uh, he looked quite good when he came. Well, apparently we, we did miss out on Vertonghen as well. Uh, yeah. Summer. Well, one. Part, part of me, based on our, our, our scouts, uh, Wenger just turned around and said, look, get me that left-footed Belgian centre-half, his surname begins V-E-R, that's all I need. <laughs> Comes in and sees Thomas and goes, oh, you got the wrong one. You got the wrong one. Um, right, OK, on that note, it's almost time to wrap up. But, before we do, a reminder that the current issue of the Guna, number 234, will be available at the home matches against Norwich and Everton. And as mentioned previously, Chris Chalky White will be signing copies at the game on Saturday between 1.15 and 2.45. Support your Guna by buying a copy and helping us to survive in these tough economic times. Finally... The usual reminder is that if you want to email us about anything related to the podcast, our address is gunapodcast at gmail.com. And with that, it's goodbye from Bernard. Up the Gunners. Kevin. Goodbye. And Tony. Right, you Gunners. We'll be back towards the end of May to reflect the season, which has divided the Arsenal public unlike any other. Until then, this is your host, David Udo, saying thanks for listening. la di da di da la di da di dee all good friends and jolly good company. Way!